welcome to this podcast from Adelaide Place Baptist Church. We are a community of disciples, apprentices of Jesus, who live and work in the city of Glasgow, and it's our vision to join God in the renewal of all things. Our discipleship to Jesus is for all of our lives, so as well as listening to this podcast, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday morning or get involved in one of our missional communities, which are across the city throughout the week. Our prayer is that you encounter Jesus in some way through this podcast. More information can be found at apbc.net. is radical in itself that, uh, that the word addresses through God's spirit a community, not just individuals. Eugene Peterson, uh, uh, who was a well-renowned pastor and theologian, he says this, the gospel is never for individuals, but always for a people. Sin fragments us, separates us. Gospel restores us, unites us, and sets us in community. The life of faith revealed and nurtured in the biblical narratives is highly personal, but never individual, never merely individual. Always there is a family, a tribe, a nation, church. So it comes as no surprise to find that St. John's vision is not a private exile given to compensate him for his rock-bound exile. It is for the seven churches that are in Asia. The gospel pulls us into community. One of the immediate changes that the gospel makes is grammatical. We instead of I, are instead of my, us instead of me. Now, he's saying a lot in that. The fact that, that love cannot exist in isolation, as this word it addresses a community. It's because relationships matter and love just doesn't exist in a vacuum. He picks up that sin separates it and the gospel unites it. It pulls us into community. And he, in some ways, is alluding to the idea that the best way to read the book of Revelation is in the community of faith. The primary audience was people who heard it in community, not people who had Bibles or would lock themselves away in a room to read it. And if some of the assertions great with us today, like the, the we instead of I or are instead of my, you might feel, we're, we're cultures of a very individualistic culture, so we might feel, hold on, I want to protect the, our personhood and, and feel threatened. So it might great to some degree, but there's something of a, a, a radical nature of a community who are drawn in into a way of relating to one another around uh, the word and, and what the spirit is, is saying to his church, that in and of itself is a radical message and a, and a radical placement. If you think of the book of Revelation coming towards the end of the canon, the books of the Bible, to say, look, he, he, here's how the Bible works itself out in community. But radical also in the, the quality of discipleship that is called for. Dallas Willard, who is another, was another great thinker and writer, he, he comments that whenever churches went through times of great renewal or revival, people sometimes mean different things but, or mean the same things sometimes, that, but whenever the church experiences a great turnaround of God, pouring out of God's spirit, he comments that what always accompanies that is a, a return to a wholehearted, all-of-life um, discipleship. 
There's something that happens when, when God's spirit moves powerfully and um, through his church, as he has done, has been well reported in many periods of history. One of the features is this sense of recovery of all of life discipleship that, that goes along with it. More akin to when we think of discipleship um, from an early first century point of view, the, the model of discipleship would be thinking of the, the rabbi and the relationship with their apprentice. The rabbi had apprentices, people who like, basically followed him around everywhere he went, like literally walking in his, his shadow. And it wasn't just the rabbi's teaching they were trying to, uh, to understand and learn, but it's their teaching and their mannerisms, their way of life. And when we think of discipleship today, we, we, we don't often think of that sort of intimate relationship, and it's not, we, we sometimes think of what we need to know. But as Dallas Willard said, there's a recovery of a whole of life discipleship happens when God's renewing spirit works. And um, this was something that would have been in the forefront of people's minds as disciples, the first uh, disciples we read of in the Bible. So there, there's a quality of discipleship in church that is um, spoken of in these passages in the book of Revelation. Many, it's, many take this view, and I kind of go with it, that the church of modernity um, did pretty well. So the age of reason in the back of the Enlightenment, when we had a lot of confidence in human progress and the individual and the, the rational mind is going to take us forward. Many say actually the church in that age of modernity did, did pretty well. Um, we, we grew, and, but also the criticism that many are still in that mode of modernity whenever we are in a different cultural moment where we're in this late modern, postmodern, where the, the meta theme's gone, truth is, uh, is relative, and mystery is, is a, a thing. And they are critical of churches that still have, in some people's minds, the signs of existing in a, in a different era because they go to conferences and it's about success, numerical growth and, and basically confidence in how we're going to get progress. We just need to put the right ideas into action and we're going to, we're going to do well. And many would argue that the church of post-modernity or whatever this cultural moment is that we are in should much more put us all its eggs in the basket of faithfulness, of distinct communities that are faithful to Jesus, rather than this sort of mechanistic thing that we can control and can predict success based on these factors. And when you read through the, the letters to these seven churches, as we remind ourselves of who it was. It's this vision that St. John receives of the Son of Man and the, the, the risen Christ coming to inspect his churches. He doesn't come and ask about numbers and, 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 and reputation. He comes with a, a qualitative lens that says, I know and, and what's going on here and, and let me tell you what's going on here. And so I want to offer time just to try in the middle of the series to, for us to take, take that in, to also do some work, to give me a break. Um, so there's going to be a wee bit of time to reflect, just to draw in around the theme of where God is leading, where God is speaking. Uh, 
but before I give you a chance to talk to one another, let me just give you a bit of an overview of the dangers facing the seven churches. Now, this slide um, will just, there's three columns, three different thinkers, and they just describe the dangers facing the church in different ways. And it's just to give you that overview. The, the blue writing is to indicate the ones that I am more drawn towards as the sort of what I would understand, maybe the best way to understand it. So Ephesus about abandoning their zestful love of Christ. Smyrna, the, the fear of, of suffering that could crush them. Pergamum, the sort of indifference to, to heresy. Tiatira, tolerance of, of immorality. Sardis, the one who everybody thought they were alive, there was reputation, but there was a deep apathy and, and deadness, according to Jesus. Um, and Philadelphia, uh, I, I guess a failure to hold fast, potentially, or fear. And Laodicea, where we will we'll come to later on. John Stott, who was a, uh, I'm quoting a lot of people who are sadly deceased, but, um, but I'm going to continue on that theme. Uh, John Stott, who's another pastor, theologian, he uh, commented on hearing the messages to the seven churches as a whole as saying, remember it's speaking to specific churches, but it is also to speak to the church that, today. And um, he, he sees in each church a mark that actually is meant to be a mark of the church. So this qualitative lens, as Jesus comes to review his church, what's important to him? Is it numbers? Is it reputation? No. So this next slide points to the seven marks of the church that John Stott says that we can discern from that. So the love um, from Ephesus is to mark the church. We're to be marked by suffering, Smyrna. Marked by truth, Pergamon. Marked by holiness, Tiatira. Marked by authenticity, Sardis. We're marked by mission, Philadelphia. And we're to be marked by a wholeheartedness in Laodicea. You know, when we say, what's, what's such and such a church like? And we're like, oh, worship's pretty decent. Or, you know, it's, it's pretty big. It's normally the first way we describe it. For some reason, we, when people talk about church, what's the church like? We, we straight, we go to size. Or we go, well, what's the preaching like? The preaching's it's okay sometimes, you know, there's that sort of comment we get with, with church. Well, 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 not here. We get the sense of when, when Jesus comes to church, which is an odd thing to say, he, he's looking through a different lens. Um, so um, one of the things you'll have noticed that we are putting on Instagram, Facebook, just some of the questions to kind of reflect on. And I want to just pull one of those that we sent last week into this morning. Um, sorry, two of those, and just to give some, a generous enough amount of time this morning to just turn around in, in, in whatever groups that you can muster up without um, too much, or else if you just want to sit by yourself, if that feels more um, content for you this morning or peaceful, then, then do that and just mull it over. But just a couple of questions to stop and think. Um, with which of the seven churches do you or might your or our community most identify? And what might be the concrete message from the risen Christ to our church today? Mull that over as we go. And my only thought into that would be, we've talked about empire a lot. And sometimes that can seem like massive, you know, like um, big empires like Rome and military might and all that um, sort of thing. But, but perhaps sometimes we think when we think or hear empire, we should be thinking 
a lot more about maybe Silicon Valley, capitalism or social media powers. The idea that there's forces and systems that are forming us, whether we realize it or not. So I'll offer that thought to you and do what you like with it. Sit with the questions and turn and just chat. There's going to be no feedback, um, sadly, but um, get a chance to draw in and think, where is the Spirit of God leading us? And we will um, then just turn to the Church of Laodicea. So go, do that. And if you're online, you can just shout out your comments as and when they come to you. Okay, sorry to interrupt. I just lest you enjoy each other's words more than mine. We're going to continue. What's the Spirit saying? What's He saying? And that also can be a personal word. Never lose the fact it's never, it's never really merely corporate nor merely individual. There's personal words, and there's also a words to, to hear as a whole. As we think, just to land with this church of Laodicea, which I'm going to depict as a self-sufficient church, church that has everything they really need and, and just has become somewhat self-sufficient. It says, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, right, these are the words of the Amen, which is a, 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 a strange way just to refer to Jesus, but he's saying that Amen is a word we normally say at the end of prayers. It's kind of the sense of a, a binding agreement. We're saying that Jesus is the amen, that he's the last word, the solid foundation, the, the rock of ages, that the absolute final say and authority is holding and speaking um, to the church. This is a church that was uh, just about 10 miles away from the, the Christians in, Colo- in Colossae. Um, the in book of Colossians, you'll see a reference to Laodicea. As, as a church. And we have this uh, term, that it's one of the most familiar terms. If you've grown up in the church, you'll have probably heard this phrase of the, the lukewarm. It kind of gets banded about in prayers. It's, a, it's like a, a, as a sort of shorthand for a, a spiritual state. Um, one possibility uh, of what the lukewarmness means is about uh, a hot spring. There's an area um, near Laodicea where there was hot springs that started. And by the time they got to Laodicea and over the cliffs of that area, they were not so hot and they were sort of lukewarm and the visitors came by and, and tasted that war. It was disgusting. It was, it was neither hot nor cold and it was uh, useless. And the Greek has a sense of not spit out, which is I think what the NIV has, but it, the, the Greek has a sense of uh, it makes you want to vomit you out. So it's, it's not like you know, just need to sp- turn the spiritual temperature up a bit. It, 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 it's a revulsion. It's like, I want to throw this up. This is, this is useless. And so it's quite a strong uh, rebuke. Laodicea was a beautiful place that was very wealthy. It had great industry around clothes industry. It had medicinal uh, advancements for its era. And... In many sense, they had all, and it, particularly the sense of wealth. What is it about wealth that just makes us complacent at times? Certainly from the New Testament, there's a, a, a lot of warnings to, the, to, to what wealth can do. Not that it's wrong in and of itself. 
which I think would be a, an error, but that there's something of a wealth that just is a bedfellow with, with, with self-sufficient. I have everything I need. Why would we need a thing? It's a distraction. And as Jesus said in the gospel, it, it's just a terrible master. And it's just, it's just a distracting thing. Self-sufficient then, Laodicea, no, no need for the living streams from heaven. We, we have it all. We have it all. St. Augustine um, he said, this, the saying, I have everything, is a terrible saying when everything does not include the living God. There's a French philosopher, Elal, who, who refers to, he's, he's written a lot around technology, but he refers to the first city that Cain, if you remember your Old Testament, was Cain was the, the builder of the first city. And the, he notes that the building of the first city was out of rebellion against God. And the whole goal of cities, he builds this, theologists say that actually most of the time, not all the time, most of the time cities are, are built out of a sort of fierce independence and a rebellion. And the whole goal of a building city is to say, look, we made it. We did it ourselves. Look, we, we, have, we have need of nothing. We're successful. And, and cities like to portray that sense of power. This is what we are about. And the sense there's from the, the text as we have it, this is what Laodicea, this is what this, this condition, this spiritual state that was making uh, Jesus described as what, what makes you want to vomit you out, this self-sufficiency where we have need of nothing to the point where we have one of the strangest sayings when it comes to church, when you have the risen Christ, he says, here I am and I stand at the door and knock. As somebody described it as a sermon where it's called the church with Christ outside. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Now that is often deployed in the evangelistic sense, which is fair and right. But there's also here the picture of Jesus standing on the outside of his church saying, I'll come in if you want, if you, if you actually will turn. Here I stand at the door and knock. And so here is, here's the lesson from, from Laodicea that is um, meant to, I think, sit with us and, and warn us at times. I think we get Laodicea wrong if we think it's just a, a bit casual and we're in a state where we just need to turn the spiritual temperature up a wee bit. You know, we've kind of got a bit lukewarm and we, and we just need to turn it up a bit and, and, and refocus and, and, and off we go again. Whereas I think, I think that's wrong. I think the whole lesson of Laodicea is sometimes, maybe in a Christian life or in a church's life cycle, sometimes a complete makeover is required. Sometimes a, a complete overhaul of the whole thing is required because we cannot be the self-sufficient people. We have to be a people who are drinking from the streams of living water lest we end up with this state that is just to be rejected by, by Christ. Sometimes we need a complete makeover. A makeover that looks like love, suffering, truth, holiness, authenticity, mission, and wholeheartedness. Remember the call to, to repent is, is this word which 
it's a stop in the tracks and it's a turnaround moment. It's, 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 sometimes we just reach a point where like, we just need to go in a complete opposite direction. We, we, we need to overhaul the whole thing and we need to come back to source. We need to come back to, this is not a gathering of people who just attend something, but this is a gathering of people who attend something and are gathered and sent out to live a certain way and to represent him in all areas of our lives. But as much as that, that is a word to turn around and at times we need to hear, it might not be now exactly, but there will be moments where we need to hear. And it's a turnaround, but it's also an invitation that Jesus will turn around our lives. It's like, let me in and I'll come and I'll eat with you. Let me in and I'll come and I'll bring my healing, my restoration. Let God in and he will turn around your relationship pain. Let God in and he can turn around your sorrows. Let God in and your vocational wilderness and he will be your guide. Let God in to your repeated failure and compromise. And it's here is let Christ in because he is knocking inviting us to become not a gathering of consumers, but a family on mission who go in his name. He is knocking, but have you ever really let him in? May we increasingly reflect the beauty of Christ. May his spirit bring renewal to the church, giving his bride a a more radical edge of faithfulness a carefree when it comes to numbers and success that are imputed onto us from a culture but faithfulness and distinctiveness which bears good news this is what we are called to let's hear what the spirit is saying to our church let's pray as we turn to worship before we come to the Lord's table together Father, we have already heard a number of words, words from each other, words that can be precious as we've listened to the gift of each other and the whispers of your spirit in our thoughts and our questions. Thank you that we can build each other up and let your words dwell richly among us. But Lord, we recognize you as the amen among us, the final word, the foundation, the one in whom holds our lives and our days. At your name, Jesus, we want to lean in. At your name, we want to bow. Jesus, we need your help of your spirit to give us ears to hear, to help us to move in your ways. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. Fix our eyes on Jesus. Amen.
Let's worship together.